All right, brothers and sisters. Okay, brothers and sisters, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Uh, I normally, I hate to interrupt all the fellowship time and stuff, that, but I'm kind of eager to get to the passage this morning. And it is going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80 is going to be our passage. And for our scripture reading before the passage, it's going to be verses 67 through 79, 67 through 79. And then in the teaching, we're going to cover some more of the context here. But if you're uh, there at Luke chapter one, Luke's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third book of the New Testament, very first chapter. And the heading there says Zechariah's prophecy. So Luke records this for us, starting in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. God, having read your word, recorded for us by Luke, these words, this song of Zechariah, um, God, we ask that you'd assist us this morning as we uh, unpack these words and what it means for us. The message that we would have that it would have for us today and every day. So, God, we ask you would speak to us, enlighten our eyes, that we may see the wonderful things that you have for us in your word. And this we pray in Christ's mighty name. Amen. So today we are continuing our little Advent series, and uh, we are looking at four songs, four songs, not today uh, in the series. We're looking at four songs. You're like, well, how far are we going in this? 
Um, we're looking at four songs in this series, and we looked at the first one last week. And so if you were to just turn the page uh, back a page, you could see Mary's song of praise, which begins in verse 46. We saw that last week. Luke is recording for us several songs here. You could see it uh, in most translations. They put it kind of in this indented um, verse format or poetic format. And that was the announcement uh, to Mary that she was going to have a son, and that son is Jesus. Today we get to the second of these four songs. The next songs are the songs of the angels in Luke chapter 2. And then after that, Jesus is presented at the temple after his birth. And that is uh, the fourth song we'll look at right before Christmas. So this is the second of those. This is an account or a story of the birth of John. We've already gotten a, a, a prophecy that he was going to come. Remember, the angel had come to uh, Zechariah. The angel Gabriel had come to Zechariah at the beginning of Luke to inform him that he was going to have a son. Visited him in the temple. Now we come to the scene where he is now born. Remember, the, Gabe, the angel Gabriel comes to, to Zechariah and he speaks to him in the temple and tells him that he's going to have a son. And Zechariah has his doubts and questions and he's like, OK, you're going to be struck um, mute for the next uh, undetermined period of time. So this is where we find ourselves after Zechariah was done with his service in the temple, he goes back home he and he and elizabeth go back home and so we're going to look at the account of john's birth here and then we will get to his song so here's the account of john's birth beginning in verse 57 now the time came for elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John, right? Because apparently there was some way that uh, Zechariah was communicating to Elizabeth in this period of time about what the angel Gabriel had told him his name was going to be. He told him his name is going to be John, and he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And so Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, you're not going to call him Zechariah. You're going to call him John. And they said to her in verse 61, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. You know, so this is maybe they're making signs to him. Maybe it suggests that he maybe had hearing loss as well as being mute. They're making signs to, to Zechariah inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, loosened, loosed, loosed, help me here, loosed, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Now, the blessing here is what we see in the next uh, verses. But keep in mind, Zechariah had remained mute for nine months, basically. What a joy to Elizabeth, perhaps. <laughs> And when he finally breaks his silence, the very first words he says are, praise the Lord. Blessings to our God. 
As a matter of fact, the, the, the title for Zechariah's song here in the Latin comes to us from the Latin translations of the New Testament. Like Mary's was magnificat, right? From magnify. Here, this one is called the benedictus. From blessed. Blessed in the blessing. The Greek is eulogeo. Like it's, it's a good word. It's a eulogy kind of thing. And Luke tells us that Zechariah's song is actually uh, not merely of Zechariah's own composition. Notice it says in verse 67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So like Mary's Magnificat, Zechariah's Benedictus are words that are inspired by God. And and likewise, they're filled with Old Testament references, like we saw with Mary's, full of scriptural illusion. Zechariah's Benedictus comes in two parts, a blessing to God and a blessing for his Son, Zechariah's son, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Let's continue on here. Verse 65. And fear came upon all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Indeed, the hand of the Lord was with John, Zechariah's son. So here, let's look at Zechariah's song in its uh, two parts. Here's the first part. Zechariah's song of God's son, the Savior and Messiah. Verses 68 through 75. And and actually, this is even broken up into two parts as well. You can see the covenant promise to David kind of dominates verses 68 through 71. And the covenant promise to Abraham seems to be the theme of 72 through 75. So far in this series, I think many, I think every week we've looked at some way that some of the events of the incarnation of Christ are a fulfillment of long promises from long ago. When you turn to the pages of the New Testament, you're not coming to plan B. This is all plan A. And these are covenant promises from long ago coming to fulfillment in these days. And Zechariah, as a, as a priest from the tribe of Levi, Zechariah would understand, knowing the scriptures, that these were the fulfillment of those promises. And his praise is filled with references to those things. So look at the covenant promise to David in verse 68 through 71. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. There it is. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The covenant promised to Abraham here is in 72 to show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
Notice the two figures that, that uh, stand out prominently here. His servant David and our father Abraham. Um, and this we saw with Matthew's genealogy is the same breakdown that Matthew used. This is the, the birth of Jesus, the, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Now, I want us to notice a pattern that, is, that occurs in both of these, uh, both sides of these, uh, of this beginning half of this psalm. The covenant promises to David and the covenant promises to Abraham have similar themes that, that are on both sides of these. First, it's God's assurance is fulfilled. His, his assurance, his promise is fulfilled. Notice verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And in verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. What Zechariah sees here in fulfillment of these covenant promises is the, the assurance that this is, that God has spoken and that this has now come to fruition. So God's assurance is in Zechariah's song. And then God's attendance to his people is also in Zechariah's song. Verses 68 through 75. Verse 68, for he has visited his people. This word occurs a couple of times in this passage. And uh, one commentator put it this way, that this the Hebrew term that's behind this is a load-bearing term. It refers to God's oversight, his arrival, either for blessing of his people or being in God's presence among his people or punishment on their, on their enemies. Joseph had said to his brothers as he was about to die, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, the land of Egypt, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So the supreme visitation of God is the deliverance of the Exodus in the Old Testament, the first major visitation. So it's verse 68. He has visited his people. And then also notice verse 74 and 75, that we might serve him without fear and holiness before him in his presence all our days. So God's assurance and God's attendance and God's attack on his people's enemies. Verse 71. On the David side. That we should be saved from our enemies, from the hands of those who hate us. And in verse 74, that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies. God's people have always had enemies. And the reason is... Don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. It's because they hate God. Jesus himself told us this in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, disciples, know that it hated me before it hated you. Oh, that's a relief. <laughs> if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. God's people have always had enemies because God has always had enemies. God's people, the enemies of God's people throughout the biblical story are numerous. 
right? It includes the Egyptians or the Canaanites or the Assyrians or the Babylonians. And for Zechariah, in Zechariah's time, the great enemy was the Roman Empire. Even today, this is not going away. Even today, there are enemies of God's people. But I love what the Apostle Paul reminds us about our, our enemies. And that is, our enemies are, um, have a spiritual composition to, to our warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes... He says, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the strength of his might. Why? Because you're going to need to fight in warfare against God's enemies. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So God's people always have enemies, but God attacks his enemies. He will deliver us, deliver his people, and protect them from his enemies. Notice what it says in verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now we kind of read that. We might wonder what what is that referring to? Uh, The horn here is a reference to the, the, the horn of a wild ox. If you could kind of picture the long horns of a wild ox. And that kind of the earthly imagery and pictures and metaphors of the Old Testament. That's kind of the symbol for this of strength, military strength. And so the idiom to exalt or lift up the horn signifies military victory. And so when it says that the horn of salvation, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. This is a picture of his victory over his enemies. King David, because of his many victories is referred to, uh, that horn is used kind of symbolically for him and his kingship. We didn't cover this this passage, but 1 Samuel chapter 2 is the story of of Hannah and her prayer uh, that she had been given a son. It's very similar to Mary's Magnificat. And at the end of her uh, announcement, or at least her, her prayer, She kind of makes reference to this. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. These are words given even before the king, the kingdom had been established in in Israel. But notice the horn And the anointed and the king going uh, together. Zechariah's song here includes a prayer, a a praise to God for his victory for vanquishing his enemies. And then the last, uh, the last one, we have a fourth one here. Well, there's, I'll give you this last one. God's accomplishment of his people's redemption. God's accomplishment of his people's redemption. Notice the 
constellation of terms that are used here. Verse 68, redeemed. Okay, this is the, the language of release from bondage by the payment of a price. Verse 69, raised up a horn of salvation. Verse 71, saved. Verse 74, being delivered from. And verse 72, mercy, a display of his mercy. So here you have the assurance. You have God's assurance in Zechariah's song, God's attendance to his people, God's attack on his people's enemy, and God's accomplishment of his people's redemption. This comes because of his visitation to them. This is what Zechariah is singing about. Recognizing that with this announcement of this of his son is really the announcement of the coming one. The Messiah. The Savior of Israel. And so this is God's visitation to us. And God's visitation to us includes his salvation. Keep this in perspective when you think about God's visitation. Salvation then is not a human invention. It's divine visitation. Salvation is something that comes from God to us. And this visitation has come in the person of Jesus Christ, who left his throne in heaven above to come to dwell among us. Redemption, salvation, deliverance, all of this is accomplished by the Lord. This is the first half of Zechariah's song. Here's the second half of, of Zechariah's song. And that is the song of his own son. So he begins rightly by speaking about God's own son. And then his song includes a, a reference to, to his son, John the Baptist's role in this as the servant and forerunner. In verses 76 through 79. And here is where... Um, we get quite a bit of meat that speak to us today. Even though he begins by with a reference to his son in verse 76, right? Notice how the shift here. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He begins with God. He now directs to talking about his infant son, John, who's John the Baptist, Who's the one who is going to bear witness to Jesus. And even then the reference to his own son is minimal because he almost immediately shifts to talking about the Lord that he is coming to prepare the way for. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. There's even a little bit of humility here that matches the humility that John himself would say uh, much later. When he says, when he's asked and people are wondering, are you, the, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not. I've been sent before him. And I rejoice at who he is. I, I'm just kind of like, you know, a friend of the bridegroom, he says. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices 
greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Jesus is the bridegroom. And then he ends with this, and it's a, this famous verse, verse 30 of John 3. He must increase, I must decrease. So Zechariah begins with his son, but then he immediately goes to something greater. And that is the new covenant promise. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is, we've seen this already, that this is fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40. The voice of one in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. And this is what John does. Matthew chapter 3. His ministry is in the wilderness. He's out at the Jordan River. He's proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and to repent because the Messiah has come. He really does what Zechariah says in verse 77, that he will give knowledge of salvation to his people. He goes on and says, this is the knowledge of salvation. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is an integral part of the new covenant promise. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he's coming transitionally to announce the new covenant promise of forgiveness of sins. This echoes what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31. The connection between forgiveness of our sins and this new covenant. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Elsewhere, Isaiah says, I will cleanse them. The Lord says through Isaiah or Jeremiah, I will cleanse them from all their guilt and their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Where does this plan for God's forgiveness come from? Zechariah tells us in verse 78. Because of, so right, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Been a while since I've given you a Greek word, so I'm going to give you a Greek word, and it's actually one you've heard you've heard a, 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 um, before, I'm sure, and it's the word splankna. I'm going to make you say it, splankna, splankna. It's the word for intestines, bowels, and it's a it's a not just referring to the physical part inside there, but it's referring to compassion. Or the depths of our emotion. The depths of our being. So, you know, I've used the illustration before. Like when you, you know, first had those warm, fuzzy feelings for that significant other. Right? And you had that feeling. Anybody? Show of hands here. You've had that feeling right here in, in your stomach. Okay. This is, this is kind of 
uh, that's very kind of earthy language. They're describing like, how would you describe passion and compassion and uh, and all of those things? How would you, where, where does it physically happen on you? That it happens here, so it gets the name splankna or intestines. Here's where it's used. Uh, Jesus, when he sees the the man with the leprosy, he says he he was splankna, moved with pity, moved with splankna. And stretched out his hands to heal the man and say, I will be clean. Or when Jesus looks at the crowds of people that were going around him while he was preaching in the Galilee. And he looked at the crowds and he had splankna on them, compassion on them. Why? Because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed. They were helpless. The shepherds of Israel had abandoned them. And Jesus said, compassion on them or pity on them it's described in the parable of the the unmerciful servant where the servant comes to the king and begs for mercy and forgiveness to forgive his debt and the uh, this is the master of that servant released him forgave him of the debt out of splankna for him compassion for him Similarly with the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The man who was beaten on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and then the Samaritan, the the hated half-Israelite came and he had compassion on the man and that becomes the example that Jesus gives. Notice that this splankna is of God and his mercy. It's the splankna mercy of God. This inside of your gut compassion and love for his people. This is what I this is what Zechariah sings about. That his son is now going to be commissioned as the forerunner of the Messiah and Zechariah realizes as the priest As the priest, he knows what the scriptures are teaching. That this means that the time has now come. Blessings to God that the time has come. And that his son is now the forerunner. The long promised forerunner of it. And that the time has now come. The Lord is arriving and he's announcing forgiveness of sins. The new covenant And this comes from the tender mercy, the compassion of our God. And Zechariah ends with this. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And that's how he ends his song. Sunrise shall visit us from on high. The the King James translation of this is day spring from on high. Did you catch that line that we sang in come thou long expected Jesus? Day spring from on high appear. This is referencing the very words of Zechariah here. And this is coming 
this is an appropriate way of describing because this is a very dark time in Israel's history. When this coming of the Messiah and his forerunner um, happens. Notice it's in darkness and in the shadow of death, he says in verse 79. This echoes what Isaiah said, right? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Matthew echoes that quote from, from Isaiah. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. This was Israel's situation. Very dark days indeed. When these events that were happening to, to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and to, to Mary realized that they had not heard a word from the Lord in 400 years. Realize that they were clinging to the promise that eventually, as God's people, there, would, there, would, there must come the fulfillment that they would have a king who would reign over them forever. They're back in the land. They don't have a king. They hadn't had a king for hundreds of years. They were still under Rome's thumb. But not only that, their darkness was also a situation of their and a result of their sin. We too, describing the situation of, of our sin, is described as darkness. We stumble in the darkness of our sins and our failings. Darkness is the state that we are in before faith in Christ. But the day spring from on high that Zechariah sings of has come. Jesus is the light of the world. The darkness that characterizes us in a state of sin before Christ, Paul summarizes really well in 2 Corinthians when he says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But then he turns around and gives praise to those who have been given eyes to see. Those who realize their need for a savior to turn from darkness and to turn to the light through faith in Christ. And this light comes from God himself. He says here just a few verses later for God who said, let light shine into darkness. The God who created the universe and the world with his word has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what we celebrate here in this Advent season. I think, 
I never really thought of this before, but uh, I was thinking as I got up this morning how hard it is to get up in the middle weeks of December. Anybody else share this? Like, it's dark at like 10 a.m. The sun goes down at like 3 p.m. And maybe that's an exaggeration. I don't think that is. Not here in Michigan. And it's a little hard. It's difficulty. I don't like the darkness. And it seems totally appropriate that it's this time of year when the when the daylight hours are at its shortest, and even when their daylight hours it's covered up with deep clouds, that this promise of the light has come. Darkness is dispelled through the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, he has visited us. He has visited his people. The motto of the Reformation um, was uh, post tenenbras lux, after darkness, light. To describe the situation that was the period of darkness under control where the, the gospel was veiled by the ones who should have been exposing it. But then the light of the Reformation, the light of the gospel had been rediscovered. And salvation is now available. Until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're still living in that darkness of of unforgiveness and sin. But when we trust in the Christ of whom John's Zechariah's son John is the forerunner, his light comes into our lives and we are able to see our way. So brothers and sisters, kids, listen, believe in Jesus, trust in him, and the dark night of your sin will be over and the day spring of his light will rise in our hearts. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah's son John came to give light, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us. From on high. Amen. Amen. Join in prayer with me. Father God, we. We give thanks to you that you. Had so filled Zechariah with your spirit to inspire this song of praise to you. And we thank you for the instruction that it gives to us. Reminding us and assuring us that you, you are not silent. That you are, you have spoken and that your promise has come to fulfillment in Jesus. We thank you that you are not distant and far away, but that you have attended to your people. You have arrived. And though Jesus himself as the incarnate God is ascended into heaven that you have promised 
his spirit to be in those whom you have called and who have placed their trust in you. And God, we thank you that you have given us victory over your enemies. God, help us to realize that we still do have enemies and that we have a warfare that is taking place now because people hate you first. And God, we thank you that you have accomplished this redemption for us. God, we thank you that your tender mercy, your bowels of mercy have been shown to us. And we can never thank you enough for the forgiveness of our sins that you've obtained through your son. So we love you. Our precious father. We love your son, Jesus. And we ask now as we. We go in service to you without fear that you would equip us to do so. We pray this. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen and amen. Uh, Friends, would you stand for our closing uh, benediction? You want to help me with it? There we go. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship that we all share in the Holy Spirit be with you as you go. Also with you.